So we have two scriptures today, and we'll kind of weave them in together in this sermon. The first is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Hear these words this morning. They're familiar. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. And then our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and went in haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. As we gather for this third Sunday of Advent, we stand kind of on this border between the season of anticipation and the season of fulfillment. It is less than two weeks till Christmas. I know, it's scary. As a child, um, the wait for Christmas seems endless. As an adult, it can too. However, I think that more often than not, we get caught up in the hustle and bustle of the season. Or do we? Are we anxiously awaiting the holiday for family to gather? Or are we thinking about two more weeks and it'll be over? Are we somewhere in the middle of that? So as I began to look at our book, Simply Wait, uh, for this season, I came to this third Sunday and I saw the theme. And I almost said, let's scrap this idea of simply waiting because you know how I feel about patience, about preaching or praying for patience. We've talked about that before. There's some strange connection between me saying that word from the pulpit and having to experience it in real life, this week was no exception to that. 
But as I looked at that part of the book, I thought about it and I thought about it and I realized that I'm always up for a challenge. So here goes. Our author of our book says this, it says, waiting for Christmas is like waiting for a star to fall. We know it will come streaking across our lives with promised light, but we grow weary of the hustle and bustle and the waiting. Still, we know it will come. It takes patience to wait and to, at the same time, see the beauty of the moment. Even in the midst of the hustle and bustle, even in the midst of, oh no, if I don't get that in the mail tomorrow, it won't get there in time. Even in the midst of trying to figure out what it's going to look like this year. Even in the midst of all that, there is beauty. Advent is all about waiting. In a sense, it's a four-week course on patience. That's a good thing, and that patience means having endurance under difficult circumstances. Um, and if being patient is about persevering in the face of delay, well, who wouldn't be in favor of having patience so it doesn't drive you crazy? Who wouldn't be in favor of having patience so that you don't wake up at that three o'clock time with your heart racing and your mind racing? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want something that would help that not happen? Even more importantly, patient, uh, patience often means having the capacity when provoked to not simply act out of annoyance or anger, but to respond out of love and grace. Wow. So Christmas cheer, anyone? I have this new shirt that a friend gave me. And it says something like, I exist on Christmas cheer and coffee. And I kind of was tongue in cheek when I said, thank you for this shirt, but I'm wondering. I get the coffee part, but the cheer part? I don't know. I still have a somewhat bare tree. It has lights. It does have a star on top now. Sarah put that on yesterday, but I still don't have any ornaments on it. So, such is life. As we look at the scripture on this first, on this fourth Sunday in Advent, we also remember that we looked at this on the first Sunday as well. But that Sunday, it was connected with what we know as is Mary's song. And we talked about Mary, a lot about Mary's responses and what was going on with Mary and that. And today, instead of looking specifically at Mary, we're going to look at Elizabeth and Zachariah. We're going to look at, you know, kind of their history and we're going to look at what they might have been feeling and we might look at what this visitation meant for them. 
So let's look at their story. You know, I'm always amazed when God uses ordinary people, regular people, with the exception of a few people like Moses and David, who already kind of had authority built into their lives. Um, they had social standing because of who they were. With the exception of those, it was pretty much ordinary people that God called. This week, we're looking at Zachariah and Elizabeth. And we're going to look at their kind of how they came to be. Because we know that God in God's wisdom calls people who are farmers, fishermen, regular, unremarkable folks. Shepherds are part of our stories. Now the wise men are kind of a different piece. Well, Zechariah fits into kind of this ordinary people. You see, Zechariah was a priest, and, you know, I have to say that when we think about priests, we think about the ones that we heard, like, the, in the temple in Jerusalem, who were well-educated and, and knew the law and that kind of thing. These would be the people that had all the answers and were always looked up to, but, you know... It wasn't exactly like that for all the priests because there's a whole section of, of the priesthood that were uh, inherited because of who they were, their family. Um, and they may or may not have been educated. They weren't looked on in a real positive way by the urban, that priest. So the ones in the temple in Jerusalem saw them kind of as like, a, kind of a modern word would be the, kind of that country bumpkin of priests. And Zechariah was, was one of these people. Um, and the, this whole group of priests, um, they divided up the times that they could go into the temple and their temple and light incense. And so when it was their division's turn to do that, they would draw lots to see who got that privilege. And so for Zechariah, this was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence that his lot was drawn, and he was able to go into the, into the area and light the incense. And then his responsibility was, after he did that, to come out and give a blessing or a benediction. So it didn't happen very often from what I read, the research I did, that there were a lot of priests that, that fit the bill here. And so they kind of take, take turns. And it might be once in their lifetime that they got this privilege. So I find it intriguing that Zechariah got to go into this place at this time. Chance? Coincidence? I'm not sure. So he goes into the, into the place and he does the thing. And this is what Luke says um, beginning in chapter 5. Luke 1, chapter, or verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, 
There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God, his section was on duty, and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the um, incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And then this angel said to him, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been heard. Now, he's there because it's his division's turn. He, the lots were, were cast and he's there. And then he's there and here comes an angel and says, your prayers have been answered. I wonder what Zechariah was thinking when that happened. You know, perhaps he's not even thinking about the fact that they've been praying for a child for many years. Perhaps because he's an old man, he's kind of let that lay. Perhaps it still bubbled up in his, in his soul. We don't know exactly what he's thinking about there, but he's told that his prayers have been answered. And I wonder what that might have felt like. You know, this was a couple who was quite old. We know that, that Elizabeth was kind of beyond what we would call menopause. I'm not, I don't think they had that word back then. But kind of beyond the time that you would have children. The other thing it says about Elizabeth and Zachariah is that they were upright people. They observed all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. These were good people. They were good folks. But they had this prayer that went on for a long, long time that wasn't answered. And I think that sometimes when we pray and pray and pray and pray, that we tend to lower our expectations. But here is Zechariah being told that his prayer has been answered. You know, I'm not sure that if I had an angel come before me today and that angel stood right next to me and said, your prayers have been answered, that I would know what prayer that angel was talking about. I have prayed for many things for many years. I have tried to live a good life. But if an angel came to me and said, your prayer has been answered, I might stumble a little bit. <laughs> so Zacharias says, how can this be? 
how can this happen? How can I be sure that what you tell, tell me is true? And we know from the story that the angel shuts his mouth. And he doesn't say another word until the naming of his child, which is John. And there's a whole story in there, so feel free to read that some other time where he doesn't talk and then um, once the child is named, he agrees that it's John. Let's turn our attention away from quiet Zachariah to Elizabeth. You know, Elizabeth carried the brunt of not having a child. It was laid firmly on her. Zachariah kind of got a pass, even though there was some shame involved in being a priest and not having offspring. But Elizabeth would have carried it. Not having children was seen as a result of two things. The first would be it was a curse from God. Remember, we're talking about a priestly family. And the second was that not having a child was an evidence of sin. <laughs> this was happening to this priestly family. You know, I am so glad that we know more today. And that whether or not we have children is a choice. Or if it's biologically not possible, there are other options. Or I have a friend, her name is um, Diane, and Diane uh, talks about being child-free because she's decided not to have children. You know, there are a lot of options open for us today uh, around children that at this time, it was seen as a curse or sin if you didn't have children. And Elizabeth lived as an outcast outside of community, whispered at, gossiped at, looked at as less than. And then she finds out she's pregnant. And she doesn't really tell anyone for a little while. The scripture tells us that she kind of said, you know, waited about five months, kind of apart from people. And then we come to this place where Mary visits her. Now, we're not told how much she knows about Mary's circumstance. But remember that this was in the hill country, apart from the city where... Mary lived, apart from Jerusalem, where news came out of, apart from everybody, I don't know if she had an inkling at that point of meeting, if she knew that Mary was pregnant. Because, of course, at that time, Mary wouldn't have been showing. It was early. But Mary came to visit her cousin, And circling around my mind at this time are kind of these thoughts that both of these women may have had about the other. Were they 
expecting judgment. You know, Elizabeth was old and Mary was young. Elizabeth was wed and Mary was betrothed but not married. What we know from the story, however, is that Elizabeth greeted Mary with open arms and love, with acceptance and love. And at that time of greeting, Elizabeth felt the Ill infant move in her womb. He had leaped for joy at the presence of the mother of the Messiah. As a mother of the Messiah, Mary is blessed among women, among women, and this meant the most blessed. Luke clearly signals that the unborn child leaping is prompted by the Spirit. Do you remember that in the scripture we read today? They're talking about the Spirit prompted that moment. It's Elizabeth, who, by the way, is John the Baptist's mother. If you haven't figured out or known who that baby was that leaped. She takes kind of a, a role as prophet by speaking the prophetic word in this scene. She is filled with the Holy Spirit and she proclaims what Mary has not yet told her. Because we don't hear Mary talk before that moment. We don't hear that Mary is saying, here I am, pregnant, in trouble. Mary doesn't say any of that. They meet together, the child leaps, and Elizabeth proclaims. She not only prophesizes, but blesses. She declares both Mary and the fruit of Mary's womb as blessed. And then she starts this whole series of blessing. You know, because that idea of blessing comes all through the birth narrative. You know, when we hear about shepherds in the field, what do we hear? When we hear about the wise One's coming, what do we hear? When the angels proclaim, what do we hear? I want us to step back for just a moment and consider the world in which Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah grew up. This was an this was an area and a people that had a long history of waiting. They had a long history of waiting for this very moment. They had a long history that kind of wove in their stories about waiting, about patience. You know, they would have known the story of Noah and waiting for the water to recede. They certainly would have known the stories about Abraham and Sarah. They would have known about the story about Hannah, Samuel's mom, the story of Ruth, who was also waiting. What about the story about Esther? Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. 
the story of the Exodus and the desert wanderings. One of the, the books that I kind of read tongue-in-cheek is Job. And if there's anyone who had something to do with waiting and patience, it's Job. And the people who longed for the Messiah to come and save them. These were stories that were passed down over and over and over. They were familiar with waiting, anticipating and expecting something to happen. Back to our story. I find it interesting that Zachariah and Elizabeth saw John as an answer to prayer because he was actually the answer to prayers of countless people over the centuries that a way would be made for the Savior to come. People who were waiting were waiting for someone to prepare the way. And it was John who prepared the people for that way. John became the hope not only for his parents, but for countless others who came, who came to faith when he called for repentance and change. He called for people to turn around. You know, we share hope today also as we talk about patience. Because I don't think hope and patience can be separated. I don't think they can be. I think that, that, that sometimes when we hope, we think we want things right now. We live in this world that we snap our fingers and, or click our, our mouse or do something and something happens right away. But I think hope and patience go hand in hand. I think it's in patience we find hope. And I think that that's the hope we share today. The hope whose foundation was completed in this miraculous power, this miraculous thing that happened to a man named Zachariah and a woman named Elizabeth. And that hope was Jesus. Because John came and proclaimed that Jesus was coming. So it's all kind of cyclical. So what happens with our prayers? I have to be honest with you. There are prayers that are answered and there are prayers that are not. And I can't tell you which is which. I often understand, though, that sometimes when I pray for, pray for something that the time is not right. That this thing that I want isn't what's best for me. And years later, it becomes clear that that is the case. A job that I applied for and didn't get. A move that I wanted desperately and didn't happen.
a life that I wanted healed that didn't happen. But then I realize that, that I'm different because of those things that didn't happen. I understand that my life is a testimony to others. Just like Elizabeth and Zachariah's life is a testament to us. And so, we learn from the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah today so that as followers of Christ, we can have hope. Hope that God never stops hearing our prayers. Hope that God is still a God of miracles. Hope that God cares more about me and my life than I do. Advent is often thought of as a countdown to Christmas, but Advent is also a time of waiting and preparing for Jesus. Because here's the thing, Jesus' story is not over. We live in this time between anticipation and fulfillment. As we prepare to celebrate this gift of Christ's coming, We remember that first Christmas with a babe wrapped in swaddling in a manger in a borrowed bed. And we know that that is a gift of love for us. In patience, we enter into the presence of Christ with us every day. Living as though the kingdom is here. Patience is trusting that our struggle is in Jesus' hands, even when we not, cannot see the outcome. Patience is living today as if Christmas has already come, as if Jesus has already returned. And so we wait patiently and prepare, please, Jesus, don't be late. Come into our hearts this day in this place. Ah, maybe tonight we'll see a star going across the sky and know what that means. God, may we slow down and spread out our whole lives before you. May we practice patient watching for the light of your love, the light that is falling from you to us. May we catch a glimpse of this holy light of the lives and places in the world that need our attention and are illumined by God's radiance so as to draw us near. May we all settle into Advent with a deep desire to see and to attend to the matters of God this day. Amen.